Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. I'm sure just about every one of you have a scar somewhere on your body that you don't like or that in the past maybe you wouldn't have liked, whether it be a trauma scar, whether it be uh, something from surgery, whether it even be a stretch mark, which is can also be considered a form of scarring. Now, there's many, many, many treatments. Some are very much more invasive than others. Um, but scar revision in some ways has come a long way over the last 10, 20 years. And today we are speaking about all things scarring. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Cussell. He's a cosmetic medicine practitioner and founder of Rejuvenation Clinics of Australia. Dr. Cussell is a member of the Australasian Society of Cosmetic Medicine, and he's been a qualified cosmetic practitioner for over 34 years. He's a leading cosmetic medicine expert in a wide range of non-surgical skin procedures such as skin tightening, strengthening, stem cell and growth factor, um, but also skin repair lasers. And Dr. Cussell shares how his journey into cosmetic medicine actually inspired him introducing modern methods of scar revision into his clinic and the impressive results that is also reducing downtime compared to uh, the older, more invasive surgical and laser modalities. I started by asking Dr. Cussell what he thought the biggest misconception about scarring was. Well, I suppose it's twofold. Uh, Number one, a lot of people think that you can't improve scars significantly, so they never try. And probably the other misconception is that uh, people think scars can be 100% cleared and removed, and that's not possible. We can get pretty close and it depends on the area of the, of the body and the type of scar, but um, you can't remove scars completely. Mm, certainly. So it's more scar reduction or revision as opposed to scar removal when we're talking about treatments. That's right, yes. So you can boast 34 years in the medical industry and over 20 years in cosmetic medicine. Where did it all start? Well, it's actually longer than that, but 20 years in cosmetic medicine, yes. Um, Well, I I actually started as an engineer or doing engineering and uh, saw the light uh, halfway through second year engineering and decided to do medicine. Um, And then I was a GP uh, in a beachside practice for quite a few years and then developed an interest in cosmetic medicine and eventually about 20 years ago started to do it full time. Mm. And you now run or own and have founded a clinic. Um, and what kind of professionals work there? It's based most mostly in cosmetic medicine, correct? Um, yes, or, or related um, in this, uh, uh, professions because we have really specialised in a lot of different lasers. So we use lasers for uh, dermatology, um, 
cosmetic surgery and also for gynecology and for snoring and sleep apnea. So I guess there's a bit of respiratory medicine in there as well. So we've got four gynecologists who work with us, um, a dermatologist who works with us, a cosmetic surgeon, um, and uh, uh, three cosmetic doctors and a whole series of nurses and clinicians. Wow, what a team. And you really specialise in scarring. Um, In your career, what are the most monumental changes that you've seen in the context of scar vision specifically? Well, there's been the advent of some of the newer lasers, which has revolutionised the uh, the speed and the uh, reduction in downtime um, with lasers. Probably the best of those back in the early 2000s was with the Fraxel laser and the fractionated erbium glass laser and then also the thulium fractional lasers and then the CO2 fractional lasers. Um, prior, prior to that, we were relying on the fully ablative lasers, which didn't penetrate as deeply, um, didn't get to the deeper connective tissue to repair um, and had a lot of uh, downtime and depending on the size of the scar, uh, more incidents of hypopigmentation or depigmentation of the scar. So in 2003, we got the first Fraxel lasers imported into Australia and they were uh, fractional in the sense that they didn't ablate the skin so there was no no oozing or peeling or scabbing, uh, quicker recovery, um, but they had limitations in the fact that they didn't, not being as high a wavelength of laser, they didn't uh, produce as much thermal wounding, which is in fact what the, the basis of scar repair is. Um, and then the biggest breakthrough, I guess, in the last few years have been the fractional Pico lasers, uh, Pico lasers are ultra ultra short pulse lasers that are much less invasive. <clears throat> they work mainly on a, a frictional, vibrational, mechanical energy rather than heat as its source of wound stimulation or um, wound repair. Um, so that uh, there's virtually no downtime. Uh, redness can be covered with makeup. Uh, there's no scabbing or peeling or oozing. Um, we get much quicker recovery. Um, people can have a laser repair every two weeks. Um, we can start a lot earlier after the scars uh, apparent. So therefore we get the end result a lot quicker and it's a lot less traumatic for the clients, a lot less painful. Um, in many cases, we don't even need top- topical anesthesia. Um, and we find that uh, the end result of the scar is a lot better. Mm. So in previous times, it's been more ablative where it completely obliterates the top layers of the skin, Um, and I can imagine the downtime and the pain could be quite significant with those treatments. So we're seeing things that are decreased healing time but also more effective and less invasive in nature. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, and less less uh, residual problems that can occur with all of the the hotter types of lasers. So most lasers work through creating a heat wound injury, 
and the subsequent uh, stimulation of the immune system to re cause repair tissue uh, can cause a lot of problems such as post-laser hyperpigmentation or even hypopigmentation. So class classically hypopigmentation would often occur with the uh, non-fractional CO2 and erbium lasers um, and the less so with the fractional lasers but they st still occurred and even with uh, the fraxal erbium glass and thulium lasers um, you would also often get hyperpigmentation particularly in darker skin types and we're not seeing that with the fractional pico lasers uh, and essentially the difference is we're using a, a different type of fractional application of the of the injury source at different depths but it uses mechanical energy energy rather than heat rather than the heat yeah absolutely makes sense so many of us have a scar somewhere on our body um but what exactly is a scar and there's different types so are you able to explain the cause um and the different types of scarring and exactly what a scar is made up of just for the context of the listener Certainly. Well, the commonest forms of scars, of course, are traumatic or wound injury scars, um, which uh, may require suturing um, to pull the skin together, but it still leaves a scar. Um, surgical scars, of course, which are always sutured, sometimes with removable sutures, sometimes with uh, dissolvable sutures under the skin. Um, of course, there's the self-harm scars, um, which are obviously open cuts that uh, is a very common cause of people seeking scar repair. Um, and then there's scars associated, of course, with the most common cause, which is acne. Acne inflammation, uh, cyst formation and subsequent uh, indenting of the skin with tethering of the scar contraction underneath the, the surface uh, causes the indented pits and there's different types of scars such as um, linear scars, there's um, box scars, there's um, ice pick scars, there's rounded scars and they, they all perform differently on different skin types and also different parts of the body so there's quite a few different types of scars. Mm. And I guess that just to complete that, one of the uh, commonest things we're asked to treat is stretch marks, which are a form of full thickness scar, scarring as well with often discoloration of the skin, either um, white or purple, stray or, or red inflamed tissue, and often hyperpigmented. Mm. But usually, in fact, hypopigmented. Mm. And how does the scar differ from the surrounding healthy skin? What's different about it? Well, the uh, scar formation involves healing of tissue. And as I said, it can vary from different positions, but uh, it, they usually heal by fibrosis. And fibrosis is uh, harder connective tissue that can often tether the skin and in some cases causes a pulling down of the surface of the skin or indentation. And in some cases causes a heaping up mm -hmm heaping up of the skin, which we medically call a hypertrophic scar, and colloquially it's often called a keloid scar. But that's where the immune system, if you like, overreacts and produces excessive healing tissue. So the scars become heaped up 
they almost form a cystic formation um, just underneath and above the surface of the skin. Um, they, being an inflammatory type of scar initially, they can be irritated and itchy and inflamed, um, but they look quite unsightly because they often remain um, uh, long-term issues and the limitation of treating those is that the heat injuries associated with most, most scar repair can often reactivate healed keloid scars and cause new, new keloids um, and that's another advantage of the, the uh, fractional pico lasers using mechanical energy. We don't get that same reactivation of keloid scarring but, but we don't start any hypertrophic scar repair until we've suppressed that immune system response with things like cortisone, intralesional cortisone injections. Mm. So there is a risk of a keloid or an over, overgrowth scar of scarring um, reoccurring or becoming worse with some of these treatments. So you have to first... Um, prevent that from happening before even treating the scar? Yes, and you, uh, for instance, if you get the, the commonest place to have keloid scars is always the, uh, the front over the bones and also uh, a common area is around the uh, scapula and shoulder girdle area, but they can occur anywhere. Unfortunately, with acne scarring, they often occur uh, uh, around the jawline and... Um, uh, just underneath the neckline um, and you have to suppress them with cortisone often. Uh, they can become very hard and nodular um, but the issue is that areas that are prone to keloids, if you try and do some surgical procedures to remove the scars um, and scar revision, often there'll be a recurrence of the same keloid afterwards. So they're very difficult to manage and obviously in people who are prone to getting these hypertrophic scars it's always better to avoid surgery in the prone areas so it's a consideration to take before uh, removing um, a lesion uh, if possible unfortunately in the chest they often occur as a result of inflammatory acne over the, st over the chest bone the sternum. When and why does scarring become more than just an aesthetic concern? Well, it obviously becomes a self-conscious and emotional concern and in some cases an over-concern over where people become extremely anxious and it affects their self-esteem and self-confidence um, and in people who have more emotional problems can be worse. Um, I guess the typical example is people who have been through self-harm scars, particularly on their wrists which become very obvious uh, that becomes a big psychological problem um, and they're very keen to try and improve that mm, yeah absolutely the psychosocial and psychological impacts of scarring cannot be underestimated i, I think um it's often some people disregard a scar that it's just aesthetic or it's just cosmetic but it really can affect someone um quite deeply yeah, and uh, obviously the more tethered and abnormal a scar is, particularly things like burn scars, um, they can be quite disfiguring and affect people's uh, um, not only self-consciousness uh, of themselves but affect other people's 
reaction uh, when first meeting someone who's got a lot of scar tissue. Mm. And I, I guess the most common area there, of course, is the disfigurement caused by acne scarring in many people. Mm. Cystic acne uh, can cause some horrible scarring. And what type of scarring is the most difficult to treat? I think without a doubt an area that's prone to hypertrophic keloid scars because of the fact that they keep recurring. Some people um, can uh, improve their keloid or their hypertrophic overhealing of the tissue in uh, four or five or even two or three cortisone injections. But some people, despite a significant length of time, will keep getting recurring keloids for, for years afterwards. Um, even after 10 or 20 cortisone injections. So they'd be the most difficult. And then, of course, uh, the more obvious facial acne scarring, particularly the ice pick uh, pitted scarring, which is impossible to completely remove um, and is always a disfigurement. To... Mm. And when should scar revision or scar treatment or therapies actually begin? You mentioned before about um, different lasers being able to be used much sooner after or after the healing. Um, what would you say is um, the best time frame for scar revision to begin after someone has had an injury? Well, um, from a, a scar care point of view, the answer is immediately. We've got to make sure that the scar... Um, if it's a fresh wound, remains um, clean and uh, no risk of infection. Um, surgical scars and sutured scars are usually, usually um, uh, protected with tape and we try and get people to use um, some sort of uh, permeable or breathable wound dressing such as the silicon gels as quickly as possible. But in terms of uh, laser scar repair, with these newer uh, deeper fractional lasers, we can start within two weeks of the injury being repaired, either by suture or once the uh, scabs have fallen off and an open wound scar. Mm. And in terms of looking after a scar at home, what would ideal home care look like, in your opinion? Um, probably three things. Um, because either hyper or hypopigmentation is a common consequence of a lot of scars, uh, the first thing we always uh, preach is sun protection, um, using proper physical blocks that don't need to be reapplied so often. Depends on the area of the skin. Obviously, this is for an exposed uh, scar. Um, we generally uh, recommend as most surgeons do for sutured scars or um, uh, such as an excision scar using silicon gels or silicon dressings. Um, but we're a big believer in using topical antioxidants. You can use collagen inducing peptides and you, you, we also recommend a, a pigment uh, re regulator. So they're the principal, three principal go-tos, the um, the serums that work on the epidermis to try and allow for normalised pigment production so you don't get hyperpigmentation, which is the commonest um, um, sequelae of scar, scar revision. 
um, particularly where you use the lasers, all lasers will make you prone to hyperpigmentation, so you can prevent that by uh, uh, early onset of using pigment inhibitors and sunscreens, of course, for that. Um, and the antioxidants, particularly vitamin A and B and C, and a lot of the other ancillary antioxidants help tissue growth in the epidermis. There's a whole series of proven collagen peptides that have an effect on scar repair as well. So we, we generally recommend uh, all three. In uh, You can get products which combine multiples of medical-grade actives in uh, topical serums that... Uh, uh, reasonably uh, affordable and just need an application twice a day and that certainly makes a difference not only to an, a new scar but also once you start using these lasers to repair the scars. Mm. So you were explaining some of these lasers that you use in terms of modalities when and how would you choose a particular treatment is there some instance that you would still go for the more uh, invasive lasers that have been used in the past? Um, yes, and again, it depends on the skin type. So with, for instance, a darker skin type, so an Indian or a, an African skin or a, a, an Asian skin, any Fitzpatrick type 4, 5 or 6, um, we're much less inclined to use any of the lasers that use heat, um, whereas with a Caucasian uh, uh, scar, which is... Um, for instance, uh, acne scars on the face, we'll often use a combination of the fractional erbium lasers, the fractional CO2 lasers, and the fractional pico second lasers. Um, I, I think combinations of different therapies usually work better um, in all cases, not, not just for scar repair, but for any type of skin repair and rejuvenation generally. Um, and of course, um, uh, most people will tend towards and shy away, tend towards the non-invasive lasers and shy away from the invasive lasers because uh, the, even the uh, fractional CO2 and erbium have, has, has about a week of downtime with redness, um, scabbing and peeling, whereas you don't get that with the fractional pico lasers. So I think in most cases, the patients determine what they want because most people nowadays can't afford downtime. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And we are in that age of also people wanting quick results, wanting something to happen overnight. Realistically, what is the um, treatment outcomes or the frequency or the length of period before someone would start to see results in their scar revision? Well, Again, with the fractional pico lasers, and I keep coming back to that because we're astounded at the improvement there, they'll see an improvement even after the first one or two treatments. It becomes progressive. Generally, the uh, the, the depth of the scarring is, is gradually uh, reduced. Um, you see a filling in of the scar tissue. You see a gradual removal, for instance, of suture lines that may be obvious. Uh, the more superficial scarring obviously uh, improves quicker than the deeper scarring, but you see a progressive change. Frequency with uh, the CO2 and erbium, uh, more ab ablative lasers, uh, usually uh, four to eight weeks apart because of the downtime and 
because of the prolonged erythema and redness. But with the picolasers, because the recovery, there's no scabbing, there's no peeling. Um, the redness uh, settles within a few days and can be covered with a camouflage powder of some kind. Um, most people will do it every two weeks because they're anxious to get as good a wound, wound repair as they can. Mm, yeah. And what are some other considerations to the actual outcome of a scar, aside from uh, home care and in-clinic treatments? Are there other factors that may be lifestyle intrinsic that would um, determine the outcome? Naturally, um, you know, a, a healthy um, diet and nutrition is extremely important. The the surface epidermis doesn't benefit significantly from any nutrition in your diet, so you've got to use topicals to improve the epidermal complexion side of the skin. But most of the scar um, tissue is deep beneath the epidermis in the dermis and subdermis. And that's, of course, gets all its nutrition from diet and um, um, supplements help if uh, people are having a good healthy diet and they've got a good gut, gut health and they're absorbing their nutrients properly. Um, if people aren't um, and you see signs of uh, slower scar repair, we usually recommend they use supplements if they have a gut health uh, absorption problem with uh, supplements like turmeric and probiotics and zinc often, often helps with the skin and multivitamins. Fascinating. So it's really, a, it's a holistic, uh, you can use a holistic approach to get better results for your patients. Well, if someone's got a poor metabolism and they've got a poor diet and they're not getting enough nutrition, um, it's not only the internal organs that suffer, it's the external. So, um, antioxidants are so important in everything and we've got to be able to absorb and you know, uh, metabolise our antioxidants so it's very much a matter of having the right ingredients in and making sure it gets in and nowadays we find so many problem, people with, uh, problems with people with their absorption and uh, um, gut health uh, which is a very common thing we find. Mm. And do you find that someone that has perhaps a healthier lifestyle, if they have an injury, whether it be traumatic or surgical, that they they heal faster, that they heal better, that the scar quality is also better than the someone that perhaps didn't have a good lifestyle, that may not be getting the best nutrients, that may not be looking after themselves as well? Well, quite frankly, it's hard to observe that. We, we're assuming that and uh, we try and encourage it. Um, but scar repair um, does take time. People have got to be realistic. We're certainly getting much better and quicker results with uh, these newer technologies. Um, we can do things, other, other things to try and improve the localised reaction within the scar tissue with injecting uh, growth factors, for instance, in, into the scar. This is a whole lot of other things we can do as well. Um, but, uh, um, yes, it's hard, hard to really observe that. Um, but, you know, certainly some people get much bit quicker and better scar repair than others, and we assume it's due to a better uh, health and diet and uh, nutrition. Mm, and where do you see 
the world of Scarovision evolving from here? We've come a pretty long way in the last 10 years in regards to fractionated lasers and less invasive treatments. Where do you think it'll go from here? Probably with the addition of more um, types of uh, additives injected into the skin um, and you need to inject it into the skin because the penetration topically isn't there. But I'm talking about uh, platelet-rich plasma, PRP, and uh, often PRP mixed with hyaluronic acid um, and uh, antioxidants. Uh, so we do that a fair bit already, and that's pretty common. But uh, And we've done a, a, a little bit of um, collagen stimulation by actually injecting people's um, stem cells into the deeper tissue. The, the restriction there is at the moment to be able to produce uh, a patient's own stem cells to inject into the scar either involves uh, obtaining it through some uh, liposuction through fat of a small, uh, getting about uh, 100 mils of fat out of someone and extracting the growth factors in the form of the um, stem cells or uh, even less so in bone marrow. And the problem with those techniques is because it's costly and invasive to to get those stem cells, they still need multiple treatments, so you've got to do it on multiple occasions. Um, you can buy pre-manufactured stem cells, for instance, from Korea in the form of synthetically made stem cells, but of course they're not licensed in, in uh, Australia, so <laughs> practic practically speaking we can't do that, so we can't actually evaluate at the moment its efficacy but you know that may be where there's some development in the future yeah fascinating and if someone was listening and they had a scar that they're concerned with what would your recommendations to them be um, I think everything we've talked about so far try and start early so if it's important enough to them that they want to minimize the scar and improve it as much as practical to um, look at all aspects of how they protect the scar. So for a start, uh, often uh, taping the scar, protecting the scar from stretching, making sure if it's, a, if it's a traumatic scar or a wide scar, it is sutured if possible rather than leaving it unsutured because there's no doubt if you pull the wound together and you're starting off with a, a thinner wound, it's much easier number one for the deeper tissues to repair and more quickly and number two for the surface appearance to look uh, less wide so if you're starting with a thin linear scar much easier to repair um, and all the other wound protection things we've talked talked about and uh, pigment prote protection and uh, collagen stimulation as far as you can with topical antioxidants and collagen peptides. Yeah, great. Dr. Cussell, you spoke earlier about stretch marks being a form of scarring. Can you explain a little bit more about this? Sure. I guess there's several different types of stretch, stretch marks. So often people associate stretch marks, for instance, with uh, pregnancy where the abdominal wall and also with uh, weight gain, the buttock area and the thigh area, um, the skin is stretched. The difference between normal scars and stretch marks is that the, the stretch marks, the surface area be, is, becomes very thin and crepey 
so you can see a real type of separation in the surface of the skin. Often they're, they're hypopigmented or white, and often, usually with time, they all become hypopigmented with lack of pigmentation. Initially, they can uh, be purple or red stree, they're called, um, and they look quite unsightly. But with time, they usually fade and become uh, white. So the uh, with so sudden sudden rapid weight gain or stretching of the skin is usually the cause, um, and those episodes is what I mentioned. Some people are much more prone to it than others. Sometimes it's associated with very loose underlying skin support. So the deeper layer um, collagen network becomes stretched as well, um, particularly for instance after pregnancy, where there's a lot of deeper uh, fat gain and when that fat um, uh, disappears in as it does with most healthy people and um, they're left with really loose saggy floppy skin so that's when we start to employ other deeper techniques to repair the scarring as well as the traditional um, or the newer uh, fractional lasers so we use ultrasound techniques particularly or radio frequency energy and often radio frequency needling to create that deeper heat, heat wound injury um, down to uh, three, four point five, even six, and sometimes nine millimeters under the skin to stimulate collagen to produce a, a stronger matrix or a stronger framework for the skin. So there's no doubt if the underlying framework for the skin uh, is more densely packed with these collagen elastin fibers that honeycomb or um, what we call mesh or framework of our skin gives the skin better support. So therefore, um, not only do we improve stretch marks, but things like cellulite as well. And of course, with, with age, um, for instance, with um, stretch marks that uh, can occur on areas, the skin will always become floppy. We said that, of course, in our faces, once we get into our 40s and older, so that, that deeper skin tightening is another important component of scar repair. Um, generally, we don't use dermal fillers for um, lifting up and supporting stretch marks like we do in some of the indented scars um, on the face or body. So we're relying on ultrasound techniques and the various laser techniques and, of course, topical treatments like discussed before. Yeah, really interesting. And with stretch marks, you mentioned how much deeper that type of treatment needs to be. Is it significantly more painful? I don't know if you've had the treatment yourself, but what do your patients report? Yes, I have. I think most of us have had, uh, uh, or a lot of us have had problems with acne scarring and uh, we all get old and we all get saggy and get looser skin. So there's no doubt that... Um, uh, certain types of energies hurt more than others, but the ultrasound energy for deeper tissue repair is probably the least uncomfortable of the lot because it, ultrasound's an energy that can be focused. So we use transducers that focus the zones of energy at specific depths, bypassing the surface. Um, and as I said, for instance, if you use a, a 3 or a 4.5 millimetre transducer, most of that energy bypasses the area above us and focused at that area so that the discomfort is less but the heat is specific 
and for instance with uh, ultrasound energy uh, applied appropriately we know we're achieving a target temperature of about 65 degrees which is optimal to cause um, collagen stimulation at that level. Um, we are able to focus certain lasers at those levels as well but um, although there is focusing involved there is transmission of heat um, uh, but we aren't able to generate as much energy so we can only get to about 45 to 50 degrees in the deeper layers so it doesn't produce as much new collagen stimulation through growth factor release but it does also it does cause the same amount of collagen contraction so when you're focusing heat at the deeper layers you're essentially improving the skin via two ways you're contracting that collagen network which is in fact a protein network and you only need to get to 42 45 degrees to to get a good tightening and contraction and that happens immediately but that's a relatively short-term contraction and tightening the major thing it does is it releases a cascade of uh, proteins in the skin initially heat shock proteins which in turn stimulate collagen inducing um, what we call growth factor proteins we've identified over 400 growth factor proteins that our skin regularly produces and releases and the the what they do is they activate the dormant collagen producing cells called fibrocytes uh, the more active collagen producing cells called fibroblasts then multiply they then take um, a few weeks to mature and then they start to produce collagen fibers which gradually grow and the whole process of new collagen formation or neocollagenesis it, ta it takes uh, from two to six months depending on the the area, the vascularity of the tissue, and also the age of the patient. Such a complex process. It is, and obviously the, the answer to all of those questions is that if you start earlier and you've got a, a younger skin, you're always going to get a better result than if you start later repairing any scar tissue and you've got an old, older skin which is going to be slower to respond. Yeah, absolutely. It makes so much sense. Now, You've just shared so much knowledge and gold with us today, Dr. Cussell. So appreciative. If someone wants to find more about either you or Rejuvenation Clinics of Australia, where is the best place for them to go? Um, the website, uh, probably, because most of the information and the, the treatments and services we offer are there. Yes. And, you know, we've got uh, a, a series of doctors, uh, all the um, the uh, staff we've got will offer a free consultation initially. Uh, if it's a medical consulta consultation, it's rebatable. Um, there are very few things in cosmetic medicine that are rebatable. Um, but, uh, for instance, keloid scar um, repair with cortisone is one of the few items that Medicare offers a rebate on and the consultations if it's for a medical reason. But generally, scar revision um, is not um, rebatable under Medicare or the health funds. Mm. Which is quite unfortunate, isn't it? And that would even be an interesting topic for a future podcast. 
because we now know the psychosocial and psychological impacts of scarring. And um... Well, it's, it's interesting that there's an archaic uh, Medicare rebate which allows a rebate for severe disfiguring scarring um, where it's repaired with um, a, an ablative laser and that would include the CO2 and erbium, but it doesn't include the fractional lasers. So when the, and very few people would use the non-fractional lasers because of the downtime and the risks of hypopigmentation. Um, when the fractional lasers came about in 2002 and 2003, uh, it, because they were so successful and um, with much less downtime, so people would come along once a month for five or six treatments and claim what was a reasonably high rebate. Um, uh, that Medicare obviously couldn't afford that, so they didn't allow a fractional um, laser rebate for a severe disfiguring scarring, um, and and probably rightly so because it would be very expensive. Um, no, so at the, moment, it would be. at the moment, at the moment, very few people can claim that because there's very few people left who still use the non-fractional. CO2 or erbium lasers. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. And and I say perhaps Medicare is due for a little bit of an update or a review on that one. Well, it would need evaluation to see how um, disfiguring and how important that scarring is. And it's a bit hard to generalise because Medicare doesn't actually police anything unless a doctor overclaims certain things, in which case they get questioned um, and most people don't want to risk that, so they're not, not uh, offering a rebate for um, anything that's not cut and dry. Yeah. And most, most scar repair, unfortunately, under the pre present terms, isn't cut and dry. Of course, so many different classifications and grades of severity. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Castle, for being a guest on today's show. Dr. Cussell shared with us a detailed history of where scar revision lasers have come from and how they have changed today. Um, he's also given us some great tips on ways you can support your scar at home. And the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were number one, more invasive is not always better. Sometimes in this industry and many other industries, we can think the harder, the faster, the, the, you know, the, the deeper, the better. Um, but functional lasers or the more modern lasers are boasting better results with less risk and less downtime than ever before. Number two, when it comes to scar revision, a multimodality approach may be needed, especially if the scarring is significant or there has been lots of tissue loss. So an example would be pitted acne scarring. While initial efforts with lasers and things um, may be effective, they can still leave someone with hollows in their skin or that pitting. But then cosmetic filler can be used. So it's really uh, encouraging that there are actually lots of modalities that can be used and customized depending on what your specific type of scarring or concerns are. And number three, scar repair starts at home. So start early. Topical antioxidants and collagen-promoting peptides can achieve impressive results when coupled with traditional silicon dressings when they're done early enough. Um, and it's not every day that, you know, I get to be 
be able to speak to someone with over 34 years of experience. So it was a real pleasure and honour to have Dr. Cussell on the show. I hope you learnt some interesting things as well. I know I certainly did. Thank you so much for sharing your earbuds with me today. Until next time, be skin empowered. Are you feeling disempowered or confused about your skin? You can now join the Derm Health Co. Insider community to learn about your skin, connect with others in the community and find specialised practitioners to feel empowered on your skin health journey so you can face the world faster. Whether you are experiencing a long-standing skin condition, recent disease, injury, trauma or niggling skin question, there is a place for you at Derm Health Co. And the best part is that as a Derm Health Co. Insider, your membership is absolutely free. So jump online at dermhealth.co and join today. I look forward to seeing you on the inside.